Hello, Portland. This is Daniel Lyman with the People of Portland podcast, where we talk to the best of Bridgetown. Um, let's see here. I'm going to do my rant and my rave here. Uh, my rant is actually, you know, what I was going to rant about was this whole situation where the county was going to distribute foil and straws for fentanyl users, which I have lots of opinions about, both good and bad. And I understand uh, uh, supplying safe, you know, uh, giving people the, the safety that they need to be able to use the drugs in a way that is uh, not going to be fatal. Um, I understand that for sure. But I do think it was really poor timing and really poorly discussed. So I am so glad that actually they reversed that decision for now. Um, that's a that's a very political hot take. So I don't want to go too deep into that. But um, I do think it was the right call. My rave is that, uh, what am I going to rave about? You know, I spent the last week in a van in the Olympic Peninsula driving around. Last week's episode and the, the Instagram updates were all pre-programmed so I could be off the grid. And it was great. It was amazing. It was just, uh, it was, the Northwest is just the most magical place, especially in the summer. Um, it had been since a very long time since they've been up to the Olympic Peninsula. And man, can't recommend enough. It was beautiful. All right, let's get on to the show here. Uh, our guest today is Doug White, who is the executive director of the Hollywood Theater, which is one of my favorite theaters here in town. We live in a city with so many amazing independent cinemas, uh, and this is one of them. And I love what they're doing with their programming and also with Movie Madness. It is so cool that Movie Madness is alive and has a museum and there's Movie Madness University and all that. And a lot of that is because of Mr. Doug White. Um, so I go into a little bit of his past and to see what brought him into being the executive director of probably the most popular independent theater in Portland. Um, and then we talk about m movies. And I love movies. I could talk about movies forever. Uh, but before we get started, one, one last reminder, please do subscribe when, if you get a chance on whatever platform you're listening this to, whatever, wherever you're listening to this. Um, without further ado, here is Doug White. Really excited to talk to you about movies. Uh, I my bachelor's is in film, so I'm a diehard cool. cinema geek. I'm excited uh, to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I see you're a therapist. As well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. A varied resume. I worked on film for uh, a number of years after getting out of undergrad, and then I transitioned to becoming a therapist. So that's so funny. I just met a guy like a week ago who I've kind of become friends with already. That who uh, was a filmmaker and is now in school to become a therapist. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, actually, when I got, I can get into it later, but when I got the job here, uh -huh. I basically got, it was in 2010, I got the job offer, and at the same time, I'd been accepted into the uh, PSU counseling program, and had to make a decision of which one I was going to do, and then I'm like, well, I can always go to school, I, I should just do this right now and see how it goes, so. Wow, so, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's apparently a thing to work in film. I know, and, right? <laughs> We, we're like we've been through a lot of shit, so now we can help other people. Yeah, exactly. Well, to some degree, that was true for me. But <laughs> um, cool. So uh, I don't know if you got a chance to look into the podcast at all. It's pretty new, but um, you know, generally, this is about interviewing people in Portland that are doing cool stuff as a way to celebrate Portland because I love the city and I think that the best thing about the city are its people. So, yeah. um, and I, as someone from the outside, I don't know much about you. I'm excited to get to know you, but from someone from the outside, the Hollywood is made a dramatic change in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. It's a entirely different place than it was when I was a kid. So I'm excited to cool. talk to you about that. Yeah. Uh, before we get into all the professional stuff, though, I'd love to hear about who you are personally. So if you don't mind, let's kind of talk about where you grew up. And uh, if I if I did my research correctly, you went to Miami University in Ohio. Is Are you from Ohio? No. So yeah, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I went to 
school there, went to high school there, and then, yeah, I went to college at Miami of Ohio. And, okay. Um, actually studied finance there. Um, I saw that, which I thought was an interesting, uh, that was kind yeah. of a surprise. Yeah, and then I got like, I graduated and I got like my first job at, at a bank doing mortgages. Okay. And I lasted like not even a year. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm not doing this. Like this is not going to work for me. And um, I had, actually had a friend who was um, in film school and making a film and I didn't know what to do. And he needed like a producer, somebody who was good with numbers. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm interested yeah. in that. I could do that. And so then I helped him on that. And then pretty quickly realized almost everybody has a film degree who's in film, but nobody has a finance degree who's in film. Right. Um, so I started able to like, producing a lot of things and helping people and then started getting into making my own films. But that it was that finance sort of business side of me that was a little rare in that world, particularly like the indie, you know, filmmaking oh, world. So it was totally it, it sort of put me a little bit at an advantage when I first started because I had a different skill set than most. Oh yeah, most filmmakers know nothing about money. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So they're excited to meet somebody who was a filmmaker myself, but also, you know, really interested in film, but I also had that side of me, you know. Yeah. So I want to talk more about that in a bit here, but let's just kind of step backwards here. Uh, in Mil- Let's talk about what movies meant to you as a kid uh, growing up in Milwaukee. Did you care about movies? Was that a, par- a part of your life? Were you a- Yeah. No, I mean, I, it's like I did not grow up like just obsessed with movies. I love okay. movies. And I remember I saw E.T. four times when it came out. You know, if there was a Fox <laughs> Bay Theater in our neighborhood, I loved going there. I loved my dad would take me all the time or my family. We'd I don't think he's ever been to a movie without getting popcorn, you know, so it's just like that <laughs> yeah. ritual of going. Totally. And um, there's the Oriental Theater in Milwaukee, which is okay. absolutely stunning movie palace. Wow. So that was probably when I first was just kind of wowed by, you know, going into this beautiful building and then watching films with a group of people. Um, so, but growing up, yeah, it was uh, just probably like most kids. I mean, I had Star Wars sheets or whatever. and was Like you do. Yeah. Uh, and so, but I wasn't, I didn't really get, start digging too deep until, you know, probably late college is when I started getting into documentary films and like really went, that's where I, for some reason, just became obsessed with those and sort of um, really started consuming a lot of those and got okay. into film through documentary. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. There's a, there's yeah. Googling you, you can find a fair amount of things relating you to, to documentaries. Yeah. Um, was media in general or books or was like storytelling of interest to you as a kid? Um, music was, so ah, I was, okay. music's always been my, probably mm-hmm. my number one, like passion or my number one interest. Yeah. Um, I can remember more often than not the first place I heard a song or a new artist or whatever, even more so than movies like that stuck with uh. me more. Yeah, um, and then of course, yeah, I liked reading. I loved movies. I loved TV, but it was music that I was really drawn to. But then it started shifting, you know. As I, I'm still like obsessed with music. I would still probably say it's my number one interest. Um, awesome. But the, obviously, you know, film is a is a collaborative art form and that uses storytelling and imagery and photography Tons and music, music. <laughs> and lots of music. So yeah. um, I was sort of drawn in. Some of the films that I really loved were sort of music based, you know, as well. Okay, so, cool. Yeah. Well, I just have to ask them like favorite bands when you were a kid. Uh, like the police. Um, oh, yeah. That was my first concert I ever went yeah. to. And that kind of like <laughs> blew my mind. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> even like, I remember my uncle giving me a Genesis tape, 
you know, before I even really knew what it was. And so yeah. then I got into like typical stuff, Zeppelin or whatever. And then, but now I'm like, you know, have thousands of records and, and listen to all sorts of things. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Okay. So you said that you got into documentary, uh, being a documentarian, because you became a documentarian after or right at the end of college. Is that right? Uh, probably after graduating. Yeah. I was like getting okay. into them, but I didn't start making them until after I got out. Yeah. Okay. And were you still in Ohio or what did you do after? No. So after I graduated, I went back to um, Milwaukee. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. And then for whatever reason between I moved, my sister was in St. Louis. Okay. Um, yeah, and were... I moved back and forth between Milwaukee and St. Louis like five times. So yeah. I'd oh, kind wow. of spend some time in Milwaukee and then I'd spend time in St. Louis. Part of that had to do films that I was making and where the subjects were. Part of it was just change and part of it was working with a filmmaking partner who, you know, would need to go back. So I'd go back with him or whatever it was. So it was a lot of back and forth between those two cities for a number of cool. years. Yeah, I saw that you worked at KDXH for a while. Yeah, KDHX. KDHX. Sorry, I got it wrong. Yeah, yeah that's anyway. right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a community radio station that's like KBU, but probably a little more advanced, a little bit more like, you know, KDXT okay. in, in Seattle. Okay. Oh, yeah. But we okay. also had a, a media arts. It had like a, a community TV aspect of it. Um, I started working there and uh, as the development director to raise money. And then basically we took all the money that was going into like public access, access TV and turned yeah. it into a filmmaking resource center for local filmmakers. So that was like a huge shift and turnaround there that, that I worked on. That's very cool. And were you yeah. still, were you making your own, uh, your movies at the same time you were working yeah. there? Yeah. Okay. So for well, no, many years, I would say for a good 10 years, I'd be having a day job. I could never make money making documentaries, you know? Uh, so it was always... Difficult having a day job either i did commercial work too so i was freelance for a while and directing know, or what were you doing for commercials? no no i was back then it was like pa or a driver like i was yeah. driving brett Favre around on a um you know nintendo <laughs> shoot or whatever so it was just it was fun interesting i did end up doing some assistant directing but i got yeah. burnt out pretty quickly on production yeah. like and that's when Production's i started hard. yeah and i didn't also didn't like it just felt like a job Right. Yeah. It didn't feel creative to me. It just felt like, yeah, I could be a plumber or whatever. Like it, right. I'm around interesting stuff, but the stuff I was doing wasn't. And that's why I decided I love documentaries. I'm, I want to be creative. I think I'll just start making my own. Um, cool. And that's when I kind of started down that road was like I quit kind of all the freelance stuff. I was doing it a little bit while I started, but ultimately just wanted to get out of that world and get into making them and then exhibition as well. Wow. Okay. So what did you, what story got you into making a document? What did you like, did you hear about something and you're like, that needs to be a documentary or how did you make that transition into making it yourself? Yeah. Making so it? I knew I, I had a partner at the time that we were working together. We knew we wanted to make a film. Um, we didn't, you know, a documentary, we, you know, of course you're thinking about subject matter and for whatever reason we came up with funeral directors <laughs> and uh, started Cool. just kind of, Thinking about that, I, I read um, there's an author named Thomas Lynch, okay. and he was a funeral director in Michigan who wrote, who's a poet and an author, and he wrote a really beautiful book about it. And that's sort of what got me like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. Like, And nobody talks about that stuff, right? And totally. so um, it sort of fascinated me that like, there's this thing that happens to everybody, yeah. and no one wants to talk about it. Like, what is happening? This is weird. And so I was trying to explore that, like, 
I was also uncomfortable with it. So I kind of am sometimes drawn to things that I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah. Be like, why is this so uncomfortable for everybody when it's such a natural thing? Totally. And started meeting funeral directors and trying to like look for where's the story here. Like we knew that subject matter was interesting, but didn't know what our angle was going to be. We even went to a funeral directors convention in Las Vegas. Um, which was <laughs> Check out the latest in of, coffin design. <laughs> it was. It was about one of the weirdest things I've ever. Seen. <laughs> yeah. Um, they had a, a selection of urns. Yeah, it was. It was a huge like convention with like uh-huh. everyone has their tables and stuff and selling their wares. And uh-huh. I, the thing that stuck out the most was there was a, a boxing ring and the guy who played like right about then there was an HBO movie about Mike Tyson that had oh, come okay. out. And so the guy that looks like Mike Tyson is shadow boxing around a burial vault. And then he throws in the towel because the vault's so strong it can even beat Mike Tyson. Like, <laughs> this, these people just kind of let loose there too, right? Because yeah. you know, directors, you can't go sing karaoke in your hometown, right? People right. will be like, "Is not the funeral director." So these guys would yeah. drink it up and party. So we're like, "Oh, this is the movie." But then we kind of, you know, it just felt too superficial. Like it was like, sure, it would be mm. fun and interesting. Access is really complicated with these people too. For sure. Um, so then we yeah. decided to find a couple of, we found two funeral directors and just focus on their work as, as like individuals, you know. Wow. And what was the process with that? Were you following them for a year or six months or something? Oh, uh, was... yeah. We at least a year, if not probably longer than that. No, actually, I'm sorry. We probably followed them for two or three years or like not Whoa. consistently. But yeah, of course. It's one but... of those things like, okay, one of them was in St. Louis um, uh-huh. and he was an African American funeral director who did like, big Baptist funerals that had choirs and huge, like he had a huge crew of people all dressed in gold coats that all like moved in unison. And it was like a production, right? He put on yeah, a this show. Is a show. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he had um, like gold suits and he drove a Rolls Royce. And so he was just a total character, but doing like really good oh. work for that community. There was a lot of gang deaths stuff in St. Louis. So he's really busy. Right. But he was a character right. and, um, so we started following him and that was really interesting, but like, okay, we need somebody else and we wanted something kind of opposite. So we went up, we actually just took a trip up through Northern Wisconsin and the upper uh-huh. peninsula of Michigan and it was just knocking on funeral directors, like literally doors, literally just getting out and going, Hey, we're making a movie. Who are you? And some of them <laughs> talked to us, some of them wouldn't. We found one guy in Ironwood, Michigan that, um, Totally like out of the movie Fargo or something, a real character, <laughs> a real nice guy. And a he was youper? like, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He had, he had the mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, so we, we said, okay, let's go for, you know, a week or two and shoot with him. And no, nobody dies. The <laughs> whole week. Small, the whole week, nobody dies. And that's kind of what his life is like. So, like, oh, shoot. So let's go back. So then we go back for a month and oh, wow. nobody dies. The whole time we were there. So then we're like, okay, this is the movie. It's him fishing, you know, and he's just like <laughs> hanging out until like somebody, nobody's dying. And there's also right. six funeral homes in this one town. And we're like, there's way too much competition. He's like, yeah, but no one was willing to like close shop. And so, mm, oh, wow. but he like lived in the house that he did it in. So he didn't have a lot of expenses. Yeah. But um, yeah, eventually we did get one. We went back one more time and somebody, somebody died. died. Yeah. But we were able to get, like, this is the kind of thing where they died in such a small town, the body goes somewhere else, they cremate it, and then it comes back to the mail. So we had to wait for the mail carrier to come and film him bringing the remains back. Like, so it was a 
this weird movie, you know, like Yeah, this is a trip. And this was before Six Feet Under came out, so we got uh, pretty lucky. I was like, say, I've been we thinking pretty, of that this whole time. So Yeah, that movie yeah. that show came out not soon after we had completed this. So we got lucky and we were able to get some distribution right away because of that. Like everyone's like, Oh, you this is good timing, you know. So Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Our first movie, like we, you know, got into a festival, the first festival, a distributor wanted it. Learned pretty quickly that distributors aren't completely trustworthy, you know, and don't always do the best for your movie. So we were we were pretty green then. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. and now you're on the flip side of that, but that's a yeah. That's <laughs> on the exhibitor side. Um, yeah. Okay. So that was the first one. Did you work on a number of uh, big like features after that, or documentary features after that? I made one other one that's about um, a cowboy-themed group home for the mentally ill and, like, developmentally disabled. So that sounds was, amazing. Yeah, there was this place in St. Louis that I'd always drive by, and it looked like it was a bar. It had, okay. like, wagon wheels on the outside, and and then somebody told me what it was. It's a group home, and I'm like, what? So, same thing. I just knocked on the door. I'm like, this yeah. guy, he didn't answer the door, but he came to meet with me. His name is Sheriff Joe. And he literally has a cowboy hat and spurs and everything. And, and, and to be to be clear, Sheriff Joe's not a sheriff. He's his name is Sheriff no, Joe. He just yeah. goes by Sheriff Joe. His name was <laughs> yeah. Joe, but he called himself he was Sheriff Joe in the home. There were thirty four residents who either had bipolar or schizophrenia, uh-huh. whatever. And they all like ate in a saloon. They all the rooms had like were completely decked out like with fake outhouses in them and like it was it, so he had this obsession with um, cowboy and western themed um, movies and memorabilia yeah. and then his parents ran this group home and then they passed away and they left it to him and he was going to do a museum separately and he just decided to combine the two and he would sing karaoke for them cowboy songs and western songs and country songs like as entertainment at night and they'd all be dancing and he's he's got like a captive audience kind of you know <laughs> this is so. a trip yeah, can, yeah. Uh, is this can is this documentary is this documentary uh, accessible anywhere? Can I where could I find it if I want to watch it this? Might be it was on Amazon. I've made it so many years ago. Yeah, uh, and look for it again. So I, I would say it didn't turn out quite like I wanted. I did. It played a bunch of festivals and but so it's one of those movies where same thing. I followed this place for like four years. Okay, you know, and was just shooting it's there, shooting there, time. and it was like. The, yeah, the backdrop is interesting, you know, but it's, yeah. again, it doesn't sustain a movie. Got like, it. You have to have a real story. and so, There's no, like, arc to it. It's more just an interesting yeah. place. Yeah. So then two, I was trying to find, okay, what's the story here? Two residents yeah. who met there um, got engaged and were going to get married and were going to move out on their own to try and make it on their own. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, oh, well, here's the story, you know. So I'm following totally. them for, what, a year, year and a half. And, you know, they have mental problems right and so yep. I sh- sometimes you'd show up and they wouldn't let you film i respect that sometimes you know they would be in different moods but um i show up one day and they're like i'm like so what's the next plan Reverend? they're like oh we just broke up oh and i'm like well why and they had no answer so like my movie that i've been shooting this whole time that just... they were supposed to get married they, like, we had plans the wedding was planned they knew where they were mm-hmm. going to move and I was like, that's the end of the story arc. And then it just ended. And I'm like, oh, you know, it felt sad Crap. for them, of course, but also like my movie. And right. so that's the ending to the movie. So it, like, I just had to go huh. with it, right? I'm like, I can't, right. that's the movie. And it's yeah. not the greatest ending for a movie. Uh, again, it played a bunch of festivals and did okay, but it was one of those things. I'm always pretty critical of my own work anyway. So. It sounds like it. It sounds like, yeah. what's the name of that movie? Uh, Silver Spurs. 
Silver Spurs. Okay, I'm going to look yeah. it up after this because it does sound really interesting. And I think I, mean, I, might ha- I probably have a copy of it. I would uh, love to watch it. It sounds yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Did that scare you off of making documentaries? Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I just got burnt out. I, you know, you know, I was getting older and needed to make a living. I wanted to buy a house, settle down. And I'm like, this isn't a way to do that. I could get some grant money for those, but I was never really paying myself, you know? Yeah. And it just yeah. got to the point, like, I don't know how much more of this I can do. Um, I have produced one other film since then. is on the musician John Fahey. Okay. Um, and yeah. that was great. I didn't direct it. And it was a director out of Toronto. And so I really liked that aspect of it. I wasn't completely responsible for it, but I got to, like, I still love documentary films and like being involved totally. in them. But I just have decided I'm not going to, like, spend five years, like, living this movie. You yeah. Know? Um, it's pretty brutal. And, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I, I, but it's interesting. What I liked most about making films was the experience of making it. Yeah. You know, you up, you show up somewhere with a camera on your shoulder, and like they let you in. Right? Totally. <laughs> and totally. like, particularly back then, it was more rare. I think they're kind of everywhere with reality, reality TV. But back then, it was really like this opportunity to explore interesting, weird things, talk to people. Totally. And you know, my best memories are like. The people I met and the experiences I had that were I would have never had if I wasn't making a movie. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it gives you certain access that you wouldn't have otherwise. I say this about the podcast all the time. It gives me an excuse yeah, to talk yeah. to people mm-hmm. that, and they open up in ways that they wouldn't necessarily because there's some sort of form of media involved. Um, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I have a, a few friends that have been or that have made documentaries, and just the process is feels particularly grueling. Yeah, well, it depends on what you make. I don't. I would never make. You know, it's a cinema verite movie is what I did, which is a fly in the wall. You just follow people and see where the story goes. I made two of those. It was great. I loved it, but I don't think I'd do it again because it's, yeah. it's you, number one, you don't know where it's going to go, but number two, it can take years. I mean, literally, you said four yeah. years for that movie. That's a big yeah. chunk of your life to devote to this story to not yeah. know how it's going to end. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Wow. So then, okay. So at this point, you then uh, obviously finished that. And then was it not long after that you came to Portland? Oh, no, no, I was. So I ended up working, doing a couple of things in St. Louis for a while. Okay. So um, I after worked at the Web- KDHX. No, so I worked first. I worked at Webster University Film Series. Oh, okay. um, that's where I first got an exhibition. It was got at it. the university there and there was a, a film series there and I was the coordinator of that. And then then that's when I moved to KDHX. Got it. Started the media arts organization. And then we moved my wife and I moved out here in 2007. Okay. Um, that was okay. a few years after I finished, you know, those movies and had basically, I, I started something called the International Documentary Challenge. I saw that, um, yes. Yeah. And so that allowed me to move because I was running a media arts organization in St. Louis, which was serving local filmmakers. Um, and then have you heard of the 48 Hour Film Project? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. So, yeah. yeah. So we started, we were like the, one of the first places in the country ever host that so we did that in cool. St. Louis and then I was like in a documentary I'm like well why can't we do this with documentary and we made yeah. it um it wasn't a thing you do in the city we did it internationally and so it actually kind of blew up and we it did really well and we got you know some of them you know broadcast on tv and we got I'd go to DocuFest in Kosovo with this thing we go to Hot Docs in Toronto uh-huh. like a kind of I think the difference, not to put down 48-hour films, but those are fun for people to make, not as much for fun for people to watch, watch sometimes, totally. if you weren't involved. 
yeah. they're, they're not really like good enough to get distribution or be shown places. But yeah. these short docs were really good. You know, there wasn't bad acting mm. and bad writing. Of course, somebody like finding the interesting, you know, plumber in their neighborhood who's a total character and go film him for a weekend and edit it together. And you might have a really fascinating film. So I we had that. one of the films get nominated for an Emmy and we were at the national Emmys, you know. Holy crap. That's amazing. Film, yeah. This film that was made in five days, you know. So that was really fun. And it allowed me to, I came out, my excuse to come out to Portland was to expand that on the West coast and get ah, okay. more people involved. Um, and then that's when I got on the board of the Hollywood well, yeah, so that's what I wanted to ask about. So yeah. you, did you want to move to Portland or what was yeah, the... Yeah, so that was our choice. My wife and I were, uh, neither, we were in St. Louis. Neither one of us was from there. Yeah. We wanted to move out west. We yeah. didn't know where. We came to Portland once and then like came back four times in one year, I think. <laughs> you kind like, of fell really in love with it. Fell in love with it. And then, yeah, moved in 2007. And we were both able to bring our jobs with us, which made it easier. Um, you know. That's huge. Particularly so... back then, it wasn't as common, you know. Right, right. So what drew you to Portland? Oh, man. Um, I mean, first the city. We love the city. Yeah. But it was probably really the nature to be able to get to the coast and the gorge and the mountain. Yeah. You know, I think it was when we were sitting on top of Mount Hood. Just we looked at each other like we're moving here. You know, <laughs> this, this is amazing. St. Yeah. Louis is flat, hot, yeah. muggy. It's mosquito infested. I mean, I, I had a bunch of friends there and I, and I liked it there, but I wasn't connected to... Yeah. Um, the geography the, or the, the geography at all. And we just yeah. you know, fell in love with it here. So that's, that's the main reason. Yeah. So then you moved here, you still had your job because you could take it wherever, uh, working at the festival. Um, you got on the board at the Hollywood at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And then it wasn't until what, 2011 that you were named executive director or when did uh, that 2010. Happen? Yeah. Like 2010. 2010. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll say I got on the I got on the board. I didn't get on the board in 2007. I got on the board. My first board meeting, they let the executive director go, <laughs> so it was oh. a bit of a oh. shock. I'm like, oh, what's happening here? That's you a know. big dramatic meeting for your first one. I know, yeah. <laughs> so, and then they kind of looked around, like, who's going to take over? And you know, I wasn't looking for a job, or it wasn't even on my brain. So um, they did do a national search, and then ultimately, you know. Uh, Wait, I did decide you, to give it a shot. Your first board meeting was the one where the previous executive director was let go. Yeah. And then you got hired as the executive director after the, after the search process. Yeah. So, correct. wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That's like fate right there. I know. Well, it's also <laughs> weird. I hadn't even thought about it, right? It wasn't even on my mind. And then I had a wherewithal when I, they said that that was going to happen. Uh-huh. I mean, number one, I didn't know anything about what was happening. So I'm like, I'm not voting. But I said, I'm also not voting because what if I want the job? Went right. through my head. Like, I'm not going to vote the person out and then, right. like, take the job. So it was like, like, just thinking, oh, number one, I don't know what's going on. I'm not, I'm not going to get involved because I'm going to abstain. But then realizing, oh, you know, there might be a, so they're going to need somebody to run this place. And yeah, yeah. I've been going there for years and thought it could be improved. So I was like, well, that's why I got on the board. I'm like, I think I want to help this place get better, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, so yeah, let's let's transition to talk about the professional stuff here. So what was the state of the Hollywood when you took over? So I always tell the story, uh, like I remember one of my first days working there, I, it was pouring. I came out of our office, which is in one of the storefronts, okay. and I'm running in under the marquee. And it's, you know, it's dark tonight, the marquee's on, and they're 
was water and sparks coming out of the marquee. <laughs> I was like, oh, what have I got myself into? You know. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, that's nothing. kind of the Hollywood I remember from as a kid. It's, yeah, uh, pretty rough. And I don't, know, I don't know anything about building management, or I didn't. Right? I was like, yeah. I had a film background, but suddenly I'm looking at this building. I'm like, oh my god, I'm in charge of this thing. Right. Um, right. And the building's but, an asset and a liability. Totally. Yeah. It, it's a huge liability, but yeah, it's more of an asset than it is. It, it's worth it, but it's. For yeah, sure. people don't get like how much money it costs us every day to like be fixing things, you know. Um, yeah, old building. So, yeah, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't in great shape. So I I actually that's like I wasn't going to take it over. Honestly, one of the reasons they uh, ended up going with me is because I knew the real numbers because I had gotten the financials from being on the board and I was still willing to take the job. Oh wow! <laughs> the, so the numbers were, were that bad, huh? <laughs> you know, I, I would say we probably had about six months to go before having to shut it down. And part of me was like, okay, either Holy like, crap. Well, like I'll try this. If it uh, if it doesn't work, it wasn't my fault. Yeah. Uh, and if it does work, great. But I was sort of like, I, I can't really lose because I can try this. You know, I had this idea I might go to school then otherwise. So I'm like, okay, great. I'll try this for six months. If we can turn it around and do okay, great. If if not, sorry, I did my best, but it was out of shape and I couldn't fix it. You know? So you had never been an executive director of a nonprofit before. No, yeah, I was, and you, I was scared shitless. Yeah. yeah. Like, even my wife's like, you know what you're doing? I'm like, no, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, I've worked it, at nonprofits. I feel like I'd worked at nonprofits and seen other EDs and knew what not to do. Right, right. Knew that <laughs> like you that's kinda, I felt like I learned more what not to do when I was younger than what to do. You know? Wow. And six months worth of money, that's that's rough. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty scary and pretty stressful. Yeah, I don't it's it's a yeah, it was a tough time. So that first six months, year or so, what were the big things that you felt like you needed to do in order to right this sinking ship? Yeah, number one was programming. Um yeah. and that's when Dan Halstead at the time was just the uh technical director there. And huh. I knew I knew him, knew of him, knew his programming, and, and before I came on, we started talking about it, and he had tons of ideas, and I was like, all right, Dan's head programmer, you know, that's the first thing we're going to do. Awesome. Um, Justin Harn also worked there at the time. He, he went on to be the ED of Open Signal, but he worked with us for okay. a number of years, turning it around. He also, he was working in education, but he had, what I loved about it is he also had a lot of programming ideas, but they okay. were super different than what Dan was doing. Um, so I'm like, okay, I got two smart, creative guys who are like doing totally different things. And I'm like, that'll really mix it up and we'll see what sticks to the wall and what doesn't. Totally. Um, totally. And then, uh, and then it was like, okay, I need to make the place more comfortable. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, being, I was a customer before I came in there. So I'm like, like we need new seats. You the know, seats used to be rough. Yeah. yeah. And they were charming looking, but they were not comfortable. Um, I'm like, we need to make sure the heat is on because it wasn't always on. We told them there. And like, and then the marquee was the next big one. It was sort of like this signal to the community, like something's happening here. Right. So right. Um, I did that before other things maybe I should have done, but I, I did feel like, and I talked to some other people who across the country who run movie theaters are like, the marquee is the biggest thing that like you're making a statement like, hey, right. come check us out were improved you know but and, the and programming it's all about programming ultimately it really is you can have the most beautiful building and you know the most comfortable seats but if you're so showing stuff people don't want to see they're not going to show up you know, not gonna yeah come. 
Yeah. I, I just want to step back here before we talk more about programming, which I want to do. That's what I get excited about. Um, these couple of things, these things you just dropped though, like putting in new seats, <laughs> keeping the heat on, changing the marquee. This is, this is very expensive things to do in a huge theater like this, right? Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. These are money. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So you're like, oh yeah, we just made some uh, improvements here, but this is, uh, I don't know the exact timeline, but this is must have been years of rate, you know, constantly asking people for money to to get to That's get there. Pretty much all I've done since I've been here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, yeah. well, so the, the reason I took the job because uh, I've done other things in nonprofits where I feel like I always had to explain to people like what it was and why they should support it. Right. Right. The Hollywood, right. you don't have to do that. Right. Like no. it sell itself. Totally. I would just be like, I'm trying to fix up the Hollywood. You want to help? They'd be like, oh, my God, I love that place. My grandparents went to that place. Like, whatever. Like, yeah. I knew right away. I'm like, I tried to sell stuff that was pretty challenging. Yeah. And you had to, I'm just like, I think I can sell this. I think, I think people want to help. I and mean, and people exactly in Portland love out. movies. So, yeah, people, exactly. you know, people love going to independent cinema here. So, yeah, easy one to sell. Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay, so then programming. Do you did you uh, early on have much say? Do you have any say now? Do you are you totally hands off? Do you uh, talk to me about that? Yeah, I mean it's changed over the years for sure. Um, yeah. I mean I'm pretty much hands off. I'm not a film programmer. Yeah, um, and I've never pretended to be one. Uh, never really wanted to be one. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm more a, a curator of curators. You know. Yeah. 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 Um, well, that's a good so, job. That's good. That's a good skill for an ED to have. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I think part of well, maybe I've been successful is I'm not too overly opinionated about what we're showing is, yeah. you know what I mean? Like if, if, every, if I had to like everything or whatever, you know, like right. that would be a problem. I, there's stuff we show where I'm like, my God, we just sold that out. I had no idea we would have sold that out. You <laughs> know, like, I, would I don't have never even heard of that. Movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I love that part of it. And that's when we did the, and I did this with Justin Harn, he was here and Dan we created this community um, uh, programming model, which uh -huh. hadn't existed. I think we were the, like pretty much the first theater to do it, is where we created all these signature series that we call them. And we found people in the community that not staff, right? So we're like, okay, it could be Dan and Justin and me making all the decisions, but we're just right. three white dudes, you know, like right. around the same age, it's like that. We want some different ideas, people with different tastes, people with different backgrounds. So we started the community programming model, which is finding somebody in the community who we think is doing interesting work, whether a musician, an artist, a mm. writer, whatever they might be, leading another organization and saying, hey, do you want to do something at the Hollywood and create a series and do it like once a month or you know, four times a year? And so if you look at our signature series page, right now we probably have 30 different series. And yeah. most of them are programmed by other people in the community. Um, or not so both, this, like, I would say half and half. Probably half are internal and half are other people. And this was your innovation? Yeah, Justin Hart and I kind of came up with it together. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, this idea of bringing in these people. And then it, you know, and they'd also bring in their own audience. So when we were trying to find audiences, we're like, oh, well, I know Eric over at Mississippi Records. He knows a right. ton about film. He's got weird taste, but he's got his own following. <laughs> totally. And I'm like, he's going to pick stuff that we wouldn't pick because we would know if there's an audience. But he'll like, Oh, people will come to this, particularly if I tell them to come. Yes. And then that's what happened, right? So then he'd bring his audience. And then you got like Dennis Dredd from Weird War, who's bringing all the punk rockers and rock and yeah. rollers out to see his stuff. And then you've got yeah. Joaquin Lopez from the Latino Network. He's uh -huh. the one programming for that community and, and bringing in 
you know, his community for films that he thinks they'll want to see and he can help market it for them. So, you know, we just kept expanding on this and then like, oh, let's get Eden Dawn, the fashion uh-huh. you know, critic, and she should do a fashion and film. And then she does that and she draws in that crowd and there's a comedy one and there's the B-movie bingo one is a lot of fun. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that one. Uh, but yeah, I haven't been, but I've, I've wanted to. Yeah. So Robbie yeah. and those guys were doing it in their basement uh-huh. just because with their friends. So they created these bingo cards. They're watching bad 80s action movies. <laughs> And they, and we found out about it and then we kind of like talked to them about it. Like, you want to try it at the Hollywood, you know, uh-huh. and they tried it at the Hollywood and it was a huge hit and it's been going for like, for a while now, right? or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's amazing. Yeah. I love that, that it started in their basement. Yeah. And the fun, I mean, the funniest thing with that, with that series is the bingo cards the same every time. <laughs> no matter what the movie is. It, it almost, I mean, maybe they'll change it a little bit, but you know, it's yeah. mostly, you know, like male ponytail or three, must- <laughs> three mustaches on screen at once or stuff yeah. like that. And, uh, and it's in most of those movies, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So this sounds like a very democratic process then, you know, is a pulling information, pulling advice from people all over the city. Yes. That's what we wanted to turn it into. And I think that, I think that's been one of the main reasons for our success. Again, I mean, yeah. one night we'll have the, Eco Film Fest and all the environmental activists are there. And the next night yeah. is the Motorcycle Film Festival. That's a bunch of bikers. Yeah. And then the next night, you know, it's a Latino network. And so every, that, not only is that good for diversity and bringing different people in and involving different parts of the community, but honestly, it's good for business, right? Totally. It's not of the course. same people we're trying to market to all the time. Yep. It's like all these different groups yep. who also, they all feel like it's home to them. You know? Talk to me a bit about Movie Madness. If I'm not mistaken, the previous owner came to y'all and asked if you wanted to buy it. Is that right? Yeah, well, he knew he wanted to sell. And then Dan Halstead and his wife, uh, Chantel, Chantel had worked there. And I think it was even, she heard from him that he wanted to sell. And then she's like, what about the Hollywood? And Dan comes to me, he's like, what do you think about buying the Movie Madness? And right away, I was like, oh, hell yeah. We need to do that, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it just, it, it is the perfect fit at the perfect time, I think, for us. So, so does Movie Madness sustain itself um, as a rental, as a, uh, I guess, as an archive? I would say so. Yeah, our whole, it's an archive. Our, I mean, it does work. It actually does decent. But I mean, the way we sort of look at it is the the entire ecosystem ecosystem of the Hollywood theater, you know, and everything that we're doing, and is that sustainable? And how does it feed everything we're doing? Um, if it was just standing on its own, particularly at post-pandemic, it's it struggled a little bit. Uh, before that, it, we were doing really well, um, and uh, it was it was you know stay breaking even, which was fine because the Hollywood does pretty well, and our membership program does really well. And so it was one of these things where like it's really important. We want to save it. We also feel like it just raises the Hollywood theaters profile, which makes more people become members. So it's hard to really track all the money that it might bring in because it's not just rentals. It's like this, this bigger thing. So then during the pandemic, since then, I think people have gotten a lot more used to streaming, staying at home. And so it, we're doing decent, but shift, we do we realize we need to shift the model a little bit. And that's been working, which is instead of solely depending on revenue from rentals, um, we number one have the miniplex now, so we have Movie Madness University, and people can rent that as well. So there's a cool. revenue source there. 
Um, you know, we added beer and popcorn uh, on yep. top of that, but we also are really pushing the membership program there. Mm, so okay. I know a ton of people who love movie madness, but then admit I haven't been there in a year, you totally. know, but man, I love that that place exists. So we have an option for them to become a member. They can use the benefits. They cannot, but yeah. for not that much money, they can help support it. And our member membership keeps, you know, doubling every few months right now there. That's so, amazing. Um, yeah, so we've been pushing that and it's it's doing well and we, we see that as kind of the future of like sustaining it is, you know, we can get members even from outside the state just because they love the idea, you know, totally. of this place existing. And so um, I, I see that more as the ultimate future. At the same time, we had a big event with like new merch and like a sale and everything. And it was the biggest day in the history of Movie Madness is like 32 years, whatever it is. And that's just um, happened or when did that happen? Yeah, it was just a few, like a month ago or something. So it's there, right? People are interested. I feel like this time sure. goes on and the more rare it becomes even, the I think it'll it's become even more and more of a tourist destination. Absolutely. Um, I mean And it's great great seeing kids come in because they don't they pick up a VHS tape, they don't know what it is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so seeing amazing. them be like so it is, it's like a, it's like this time capsule, you know. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, I think you're right. That makes a lot of sense. That's why I was curious about it because there aren't obviously any rental video rental places anymore that really sustain themselves yeah. just on their own. That 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 model's completely gone here. I, it would be hard to do it on your own. I know Scarecrow Video in Seattle mm -hmm. is a, is even bigger than we are. Um, I think they struggle anymore because they don't have the the cash cow that we do of the Hollywood Theater and yeah. our. 5,000 members and all the tickets we're selling and concessions. And so um, that if we didn't, if you were just trying to run it, run it on its own, it would be challenging, but we yeah. can subsidize a little bit. You know. And the other kind of branch that I wanted to ask about is I, I mean, I love showing people that come in from out of town, the theater at the airport. That's just, I think oh, that's yeah. just mm -hmm. one of the coolest things. Um, cool. How does that sustain itself? How does that, how does that whole, that whole thing work? Yeah, well, it's a partnership with the port, so they uh, don't charge us rent, and we're part. Amazing. We're part of the public art program there, is what we are. Mm. So we're not a retail tenant. We're part of the public art program, and they got that space Amazing. donated to us. So our only expense is basically janitorial and equipment. Yeah, uh, fairly minimal and stuff. So it's considering the amount of exposure and basically marketing we get, and the amount. Of exposure, we're allowed to give the you know can give the filmmakers who wouldn't totally. have their films seen by by those, that many people. Um, so yeah, it's it's a win win all the way around for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Good. That makes me you know that that eases some of my anxiety about yeah. that ever going anywhere. I'm like, okay, good. Now it's going to stay at the airport because I love that thing. I think it's so cool. Yeah, and it's done. It's you know nationally in the airport industry, like it's it's pretty well known. We won like airport amenity of the year or whatever at some <laughs> airport awards that was some very like specific going. conference yeah <laughs> yeah it was a very specific conference conference we go to that and like it was the kind of thing where like when you're coming up to get your award the stewardess is doing the thing with the hands or whatever to like, <laughs> a lot of inside airport jokes of course yeah, yeah some <laughs> flight attendant humor yeah yeah <laughs> Um, okay, so I, I reached out to, I lived in LA for a long time and I, as I said, I, I worked in film, so I have a lot of friends that are filmmakers and I reached out to a few of them being like, hey, if you had to uh, ask any questions to uh, the executive director of the Hollywood and a, and a few of them, even though they're not from Portland, knew of this theater, um, 
I said, what would you want to ask? And a lot of them basically said the same question is, what do you think is the future of cinema in the next 20 years, considering uh, all that's uh, post-pandemic, how much people are watching things on their phone and are at home, which was already going that way. But, you know, the pandemic really encouraged that to the nth degree. Yeah. Um, so kind of what do you think is the future of cinema in the next 5, 10, 20 years? Yeah, I think um, it's a big I'm question. Not, I know. <laughs> no, no, I think about it every day. So it's like it's the most yeah. obvious question that, that I think about and uh-huh. definitely have an answer to because uh, what we're just lucky. What we're doing, what we were doing, is exactly the future, which yeah. is local cinema engaged with their community with really diverse programming and special events. Yeah. Right. So um, people still want to go out at night, um, mm-hmm. and it's a cheap interesting option you know and it's one thing if we're just showing marvel movies and that's all that's there and you're you know like i'm so glad that's not all you're showing oh my god we don't actually we don't show any of them (laughs) i know we refuse to show them uh sometimes it bites us in the ass like oh man we should we could have made a lot of money but also at the same time it would take away who we are and we might lose some of our audience totally um and so we're I, i think it's this sort of curated event type programming in a beautiful building, I, yep. I have no fear that we'll ever lose an audience. Where we has gotten tricky is first run films. Yep. So like our repertory events do great. You know, we sell, we're selling out multiple times a week um, in the main auditorium. Um, first run films though used to be kind of more like more stable. So we uh-huh. always know our two upstairs auditoriums usually have new movies. Yep. And we used to be fairly confident before the pandemic that we could pick a couple of movies out of what's out there and, and pack the house for the week. Right. Um, it has not been that way this year, um, particularly mm-hmm. like around um, you know the holidays, and it's usually Oscar bait prestige right. dramas come out, and this year they all bomb. You know, The yeah. Whale, Babylon, yeah, um, these things they weren't very good movies. Nobody wanted to see them, and so when we're used to be packed at that time of year, we're not, and that definitely affects our bottom line. We're like, oh. You know, wait a minute, we're so used to just putting up these new movies and upstairs is full. So we got creative and we started like, well, let's book Blue Velvet for a week upstairs and see how that does. And that sold out every show. So we're kind of like, <laughs> I love all that. right, this model, people want to see older films. And yeah. if we, we'd like to be showing new films because we like new films and we want to do that. But we we do have a backup plan where it's like, well, if nobody wants to come see that, we'll, we'll put up a crowd pleaser in, in there and people will come. Yep. If there's not a good first run movie, um, the positive thing is, is it seems like the streamers are now realizing they do need theatrical. There yes. was probably over the last year that they thought, we don't need this, forget it, we're not going to release any movies. And I think they're now realizing how important that is. So I, I think our first run options will get better over the next couple of years. Cool. Um, again, I think you, know, you got to be priced right. Like we try and keep ourselves reasonably priced. And mm-hmm. then you also, having a beautiful building it's gorgeous like it's... those two those two things will any theater can survive you know, I think. what do you think is what do you think draws people to communal movie watching not just the pretty building not yeah. just the cheap prices what is it that you think draws people into that uh, a number of things number one i mean one of my favorite things to do is just stand in the back when the, the place is packed yeah. and watch people and then stand in the lobby afterwards the lobby yeah. is buzzing afterwards yeah. after like we just did a double feature of uh 
Secret Life of Plants, Stevie Wonder <laughs> soundtrack movie, along with Repo Man. And <laughs> it was the weirdest double feature, but it was so great. Everyone was talking about it in the lobby. And yeah. I mean, just sitting in there, everybody was laughing and yeah. you know, hooting and hollering so that you just kind of feel like you're part of something. Also, the movie RRR. I don't know if you uh-huh. saw that. Oh, I saw it at the Hollywood. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if you had a full house, but when there was a full house, I, that's the most excited I think I've ever seen an audience be. Everyone was cheering. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so just that feeling. And then also, like, if you tried to watch that at home, you'd stop it and go to the bathroom or you do whatever. That's the other thing is that you're just, we're so distracted these yeah. days to just be like in the present moment and you can't yes. do anything except watch the movie. I think that's really important to, yeah. to really sink into it and then experience it with everybody around you. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think there's a, yeah. a really important emotional component to that, that people underestimate and it's actually yeah. becoming more valuable as we are all watching things on our phones or on our computers or whatever. It's becoming more valuable to have that communal experience. Yeah, for sure. Cathartic emotional experience together that we all experience. You know, we all go yeah. through. It's, it sounds weird, but it's like great to cry in a room full of other people that are crying, or laugh yeah. in a room full of other people that are yeah, laughing. Even and, if you don't don't know them, right? I mean, I right. feel like mm-hmm. social media and everything. Everyone thinks they're so connected, but you're even probably more disconnected than you've yeah. ever been. So this is like real life connection. You know, exactly. Even if you don't talk to anybody, it's just that that feeling. You know, yeah. Yeah, I I personally think that. Uh, cinema's only, you know, communal viewing of movies is only going to become more and more important as time mm-hmm. goes on. I think it's we're going to appreciate those spaces that much more. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm just going to kind of rapid fire a few questions about movies here. Okay, I'll do um, my best. <laughs> and if you screw up, oh, you're in a lot of trouble. No, yeah, all right. Uh, three favorite movies. I always get asked this. Um, of course, of course. Uh, you knew I was course, going so this to. I haven't. Yeah, I knew this one coming. Uh, <laughs> my ultimate is 2001 in 70 millimeter. Amazing. I don't, yep. I don't think that can be beat. Nope. Um, uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is one for me. Ama- that, I love that movie. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, because, of course, I always have, there's a ton of movies I love. But that one, I don't know. It's got, uh, it's just really impacted me. Like when I saw it with my dad and. You yeah. know, kind of the, the history of it. Um, yeah, especially for somebody who's interested now. in mental health too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let me see. Third one, I'll just say Repo Man because I just watched it the other night. In the <laughs> Fair. Okay. If you only had to watch one director for the rest of your life, who would it be? Probably David Lynch. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair. It's always. I feel like I can watch those over and over again. And, I was going to say the rewatchability. Only... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, favorite up and coming directors or director? Up and coming. Uh, the Daniels probably. I thought you were. Gonna I, mean, say I can't wait to see what. I can't wait to see what they do next. You know. That's who uh, I texted. Let's... That's who asked that question. So. Yeah. This. Da- Daniel Schneider is a friend of mine. So. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I saw y'all. Y'all did uh, the movie Madness University about or on everything everywhere. I saw that. I was texting him about that. Like, hey, they're showing your movie every week for a month. Yeah, cool, cool. I done. Um, the brothers, like, and the Safdie brothers. Oh, the Safdies are doing really interesting stuff. I either hate it or love it, but it's interesting stuff. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Like, I gotta want to see where they where they go. Yeah, totally. Uh, Is there a movie that you've always wanted to see at the Hollywood that you haven't been able to see? Or you haven't no. seen yet. No. Everything you've ever wanted. 
Okay, then what's the what was your favorite movie? Pretty much, particularly during the pandemic, because oh, we were yeah. shut down and I was in there all the time just watching stuff. So I pretty much <laughs> went through my list. <laughs> I yeah. mean, because we got to watch stuff alone in there, or I just bring one friend and when we were closed for a while. So yeah, I, I don't think there's anything that on the list that I'm like haven't been able to get a hold of, particularly now with movie madness. Yeah. Get a hold of anything. You got it you all. Know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, but I I've done No, it. <laughs> it's it's all good. So then yeah. uh oh what was oh so favorite movie that you're looking forward to this year? It's programmed. Hmm. Well, it's not a new movie, but we okay. just um we're getting uh there's a so Paul Thomas Anderson created uh, a seventy millimeter print of Boogie Nights. It's never uh, existed before. We're connected to him. We found out he was doing that. So he got another one. He did it for himself. So we got another one struck that a few, us and a few other theaters are showing. So it'll Amazing. be a brand new print of Boogie Nights um, coming up Memorial Day weekend. So I'm really uh, excited to see that in 70 on the big screen. Yeah. And when people ask me why I went to film school and I was going to film school, I'd say Paul Thomas Anderson. So yeah. that's amazing. I love his stuff. Yeah. Even when I don't like it, I love his stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk just a little, I won't keep you too much longer here, but let's just talk a little bit about Portland. Um, what role do you see the Hollywood playing within your neighborhood and Portland at large? Hmm. The neighborhood, one, is is just like a, a community gathering place. Um, yeah. We are, we're actually, one thing I haven't mentioned yet is we're planning for a massive capital campaign hmm. um, here, and we're in the feasibility study right now where we're just determining how much money we think we can raise, but we're probably talking... 10 plus million yeah. for plumbing, electric. For you know, updating everything. everything, yep. Yeah, so we've been meeting with donors one-on-one -on -one to find out what do they think of this project? What do they like about the Hollywood? And I've probably had 50 meetings in the past couple of months. And so Amazing. hearing from, so you're hearing from all these people who it's good to hear, like I know what I love about it, but to hear what everybody else loves about it. So I've been hearing that on a daily basis. And right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, usually this, it's this community. They just feel like it's such a community gathering place totally. that they feel comfortable in, that they meet friends at that, you know, and so that's what just so many people uh, love about it. So I, I do understand that impact. I think the local business community here also, particularly places like Moon and Sixpence or Sam's or whatever, really right depend on us and do really well because we're drawing so many people to the neighborhood. Right, right. How do you feel about Portland at large these days? Yeah, it's a little rough <laughs> compared to when I moved here. It's um, yeah, it's got its issues. I mean, I think every city does. So I don't I don't think it's just Portland's problem. It seems like this post-pandemic yeah. mental health, um, you know, uh, government issue. Like they're just also trying to figure out how to handle these issues, and they don't have good answers or the money to do it. And so. Yep. Yeah, things have been a little, uh, you know, Hollywood gets a little weird, downtown get, you know, it's like, it's, it doesn't quite feel the same. I still love it. I have no interest in moving or doing anything else. I just think it needs to work out a few things. Um, yep. I, you know, I live in Northeast, love my neighborhood, you know, um, and so I love all the people I know here. So yeah, I mean, I love this place, but I, but I go back to like Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and they got problems there you go to Chicago, like totally. wherever like just feel like we're all so hard on we're really hard on portland but this is happening a yes. lot of places and uh -huh. san francisco or whatever so i feel like it's it's not unique to portland but it doesn't mean it's not frustrating when you want to fix it you know? i think we're all hard on portland because we love it so much too yeah you know mm -hmm. we really love the city it's a it's a city filled with passionate people 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If there was one thing that you could, uh, if you were in charge, if there was one thing you could do for Portland right now or try and make happen, what would it be? Mental health. Yeah. Health. Work towards mental health. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I agree. Yeah. 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 I feel like that there's just way too many people out there struggling and it's really sad, but it's also dangerous. And, yep. um, we've had a couple people try and like almost like the building on fire. And oh, like, gosh. So it's stressful on us. It's stressful for them. We can tell they're not well. They need help. But there's no, we call around. There's nobody to help them. You know, it's just you just kind of feel like your hands are tied and there's all these huge problems and there's nothing, so, nothing to do about it. So that's frustrating. It's scary. And I think it's the number one priority. You know? That's really uh, saddens me to hear about. I'm not surprised, but it does sadden yeah. me to hear about uh, specific can, issues. Doing the right after what happened to the Roseway. You know, yes. we were really spooked by that. And then we, it wasn't long after that where we had a couple of issues that, you know, came close. You know? Yeah, I am. I'm still I'm etern uh, eternally the optimist. So I'm hopeful that things will get better. But uh, yeah. it is it can be really oh, rough right I, now. It will yeah, yeah. It'll get better. I think we're all just hoping it goes sooner than it is. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Now, this part I may actually cut out of the podcast, but I have a question for you. I am leading a pedal palooza ride this summer. Do you ever do pedal palooza? I did it when I first moved here once. Okay. That was the only time. Yeah. Okay, fair. Well, so they're all themed rides. I don't know if you know anything about those rides. They're all they're all themed. Okay, you no, can pick I'm a, not familiar now. Okay. Like you can pick a different theme. Like last year there was like a Fleetwood Mac <laughs> themed ride ride and everybody like dressed up and then we all went to a Fleetwood Mac cover band afterwards. Or there's like the yeah. nightlight ride where you ride wear a bunch of stuff. Uh this year I'm I'm gonna lead a Jennifer Coolidge themed ride. <laughs> and yeah, and it's gonna gonna eat hot dogs and the like and stuff like that. And part of me was like, I should find a movie theater that would screen a Jennifer Coolidge movie as like the last stop for the ride. Oh yeah. If I were to want to do that, would who would I get in contact with, or what would be the best way to do that? I I could talk to you about it. So just tell okay. me. What, I mean, we can be booked six months out, if not more. I'm sure. It just depends on the night of the week. So yeah, let me know what the night is, and I can just let you know if it's available or not. And we could talk about that. Okay, so, that's a yeah. random thing, but I was just spit. Yeah, no, that here. sounds fun. I mean, we we host <laughs> film by bike every year. Yeah, and um, yeah, we do. I mean, we host tons of festivals with like QDoc and yeah. um, Latin American Film Festival, and so yeah, we're those kind of events sound really fun for us. So yeah, that's yeah. that's cool. I, I mean, y'all are always doing community based stuff, which I love. Yeah, so. cool. All right. Now the two questions that I ask everybody, but first it would be oh, if yeah. you could, if you wanted wanted to hear one person, uh, kind of hear their life story or a little bit more about them in Portland, what would you, who would you want to hear? That's a good question. Um, I would say I think Mike Clark would be a good person for this, who was the founder yeah. and um, previous owner of Movie Madness. Yeah. He created an institution in Portland. He's a total character. Um, he's had a really fascinating and weird life, and um, I just think he'd be great for the podcast. Yeah. That's a great suggestion, yeah. actually. When I was doing a little bit of research before talking with you, I thought, oh, I bet this guy's a character. Looking oh, he's a character. You <laughs> should see some of the old commercials he's in. and like, yeah. oh, He's yeah. a fun dude, and so he would be really good for this, I think. You know? Yeah. And the other question, because I am a foodie and I think Portland is the best food city in the country, three favorite restaurants and specific dishes if you uh if you have them in mind okay so yeah i'm not really a foodie um, fair that's okay like, we have people on I the like, show that aren't yeah i like ethnic food a lot um i like going to maruti as an uh -huh. indian restaurant on hawthorne oh yeah 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 it's really yeah. good 
Um, it's got their, their eggplant and their pollock paneer, their spinach Ooh. dish are both excellent. We always get those yeah. um, really tasty stuff. Um, I eat a lot of Thai food, but I think red onion on Northwest 23rd is okay. the best Thai food in Portland. And it's kind of like on a different level. Well, that's, um, those are, those are big words because we got a lot of good Thai food here. Yeah. Um, I mean, just for me, I haven't been to yeah. that many, but I, I yeah. never go to Northwest 23rd, but I'll drive over there all the time. Okay. We get mainly, I mean, we'll get like, to me, everything seems fresher. There's a ton more vegetables. Like, uh-huh. so they'll use, you know, you'll just be all different kinds of vegetables and it just feels good. But there's a um, Penang curry red mm-hmm. uh, uh, or a salmon dish. That they give you like two hunks of sand, huge hunks of salmon with like asparagus and curry sauce and green beans. And yeah, that sounds really amazing. Yeah. yeah. For not a foodie, and you remember this dish pretty well. <laughs> we eat it all the time. That's what like, yeah. I don't eat. I started thinking about talking about my wife. And I'm like, you know, we kind of go to the same places all the time. We're not right. like just because we love them. We don't eat out that much. Um, but the other one is Saburo's, um, the sushi restaurant in Selwood. Oh, um, I don't know. Oh, actually, I do know that place. I don't think I've been there, but yeah. Yeah, you should, if you like sushi, check it out. Particularly, it's like the biggest pieces of sushi you've ever had. That's so, awesome. um, they're just huge chunks of delicious fish. So, yeah, I love that place. Honestly, I ask these questions because I just want to know what restaurants yeah. I should be going to. This is an entirely <laughs> selfish ask. So, yeah, <laughs> cool, awesome. Um, anything else before we wrap up here? Anything else you feel like you want to mention or, or, or talk I don't about? I think it? so. No, I think we covered a lot. So, I appreciate cool. you having me on. No, thank you so much for taking the time, Doug. I really, really appreciate it. This has been fun, and I've always, I've really admired what you've done with the Hollywood of the last 10, 15 years or so. So I hope you take a lot of pride in that because it's it's a pretty incredible place. Cool. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. I will, uh, I'll see you around. All right. Take care, Daniel. Bye. And that is Doug White. What a great guy. And uh, truly, I meant what I said about uh, the Hollywood being such an incredible place. I think it's really. Um, every, every Portlander should take pride in that theater. It is, it is quite nice. If you haven't been, you got to go check it out. They, they program some of the best stuff, as you heard. Um, it's a great place. So thanks again, Duck. Doug. <laughs> Doug. Thank you, Doug, for being here. I really appreciate it. And uh, this is our second to last episode for the season. I'm really excited for our season closer next week. So look for that on Tuesday of next week. And um, if you have any people that you are dying to hear about on the podcast, don't forget to shoot us an email. Um, you can go on our website, peopleofportlandpodcast.com, and you can do the contact form through that or on Instagram. I do respond to those. Um, so, yeah, let me know if there's somebody in Portland that you think would be a great guest. I'm open to hearing from you all about who you'd like to have on for season two. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.